Hey, you're listening to Guat Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, Advancing Equilibrium in the Midst of an Agitated World. This is Season 15, Episode 311, titled, The Real Great Reset. Subtitle, Cure for the Coming Cash Crash. Take just a moment to look at the show notes and Google the phrase, China and Russia at work on dismantling the American dollar. My friend, the threat is real. They are having success. The end result of their action would be an economic crash for our nation that would be catastrophic. There are a lot of reasons that have brought us to this stark reality. And my friend, this is the truth. This is the stark reality. Again, the purpose of this podcast is to advance the peace of Christ in your life. So I'm not going to spend time on giving the history on how we got here. I am here to offer solutions, both in the physical realm where we live, plus the spiritual realm where most of the work is to be done. Any one of us individually are powerless to change the trajectory toward the course of cataclysm we are on as a nation. But my friend, there is a cure for the coming cash crash. It could all change in a moment and we could be a nation running free into our constitutional God-given rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In a nutshell, it all revolves around turning to God for salvation and rescue, both individually and collectively as a nation. But there's more info from the Bible on how exactly this renewed freedom could come to reality. The year of Jubilee in the theocracy of the Old Testament nation of Israel was a plan put forth by God, which would be for the flourishing of all the individual citizens of the nation, as well as flourishing for the nation as a government. Everyone could win if Israel followed the leadership of Almighty God. The year of Jubilee is the core Bible truth our nonprofit ministry is founded on. I've talked about it several times in the past on various episodes. On a recent episode, I read the Isaiah passage that Jesus read from the day he launched his public ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, it says that he, speaking about Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus declared that day that Isaiah's prophecy from over 700 years past was fulfilled by his arrival. Here is the passage he read from in Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees, planted by the Lord to glorify Him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations, They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. These are such prophetic words of great hope and happiness that Jesus fulfilled on the first day of his public ministry. 
The year of Jubilee was a real earthly establishment, but behind the first implementation of it was the larger view of the things that would transpire when the Messiah arrived. So the year of Jubilee has both earthly and heavenly eternal connections. The important thing for us to look at is the truth of how things work when God is in the picture. When Israel followed God and exercised faith in Him and His ways, they greatly flourished. When they rose up in stiff-necked rebellion, they paid a heavy price. If you look deeper into the main tenets of the Jubilee year, you wonder things like, if all the people's debt was forgiven, what about the creditor? How was it a good thing that the money owed to them by a borrower was going to be a write-off, or was it a write-off? How could a nation benefit from a Jubilee year? How could it help everyone in the nation? The United States was founded on the ethics and teachings of the Bible, but we are not a theocracy. A theocracy is a system of government by divine guidance or by officials who are regarded as divinely guided priests who rule in the name of God. Though we are not a theocracy, the mind of God that is manifested by the Jubilee year is consistent and one. There is no shadow of turning in him. So listen to the year of Jubilee when God first handed it down to Moses, found in Leviticus chapter 25. Let's look at the basics of how the workings of the year of Jubilee was put forth by God and draw out of it some implications for us today. My friend, we need a new thought in our nation now that will transform this present decadent situation. Leviticus chapter 25, the Christian Standard Bible. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you enter the land I am giving you, the land will observe a Sabbath to the Lord. You may sow your field for six years, and you may prune your vineyard and gather its produce for six years. But there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land in the seventh year, a Sabbath to the Lord. You are not to sow your field or prune your vineyard. You are not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. It is to be a year of complete rest for the land. Whatever the land produces during the Sabbath year can be food for you, for yourself, your male or female slave, and the hired worker or alien who resides with you. All of its growth may serve as food for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. You are to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years, so that the time period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49 years. Then you are to sound a ram's horn loudly in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. You will sound it throughout your land on the Day of Atonement. You are to consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you is to return to his property and each of you to his clan. The fiftieth year will be your jubilee. You are not to sow, reap what grows by itself, or harvest its untended vines. It is to be holy to you because it is the jubilee. You may only eat its produce directly from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you will return to his property. If you make a sale to your neighbor or a purchase from him, do not cheat one another. You are to make the purchase from your neighbor based on the number of years since the last jubilee. He is to sell to you based on the number of remaining harvest years. You are to increase its price in proportion to a greater amount of years and decrease its price in proportion to a lesser amount of years because what he is selling to you is a number of harvests. You are not to cheat one another, but fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. You are to keep my statutes and ordinances and carefully observe them so that you may live securely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit so that you can eat, be satisfied, and live securely in the land. If you wonder, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't sow or gather produce? 
I will appoint my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating from the previous harvest. You will be eating this until the ninth year when its harvest comes in. The land is not to be permanently sold because it is mine. You are only aliens and temporary residents on my land. You are to allow the redemption of any land you occupy. If your brother becomes destitute and sells part of his property, his nearest relative may come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no family redeemer, but he prospers and obtains enough to redeem his land, he may calculate the years since its sale, repay the balance to the man he sold it to, and return to his property. But if he cannot obtain enough money to repay him, what he sold will remain in the possession of its purchaser until the year of Jubilee. It is to be released at the Jubilee so that he may return to his property. If a man sells a residence in a walled city, his right of redemption will last until a year has passed after its sale. His right of redemption will last a year. If it is not redeemed by the end of a full year, then the house in the walled city is permanently transferred to its purchaser throughout his generations. It is not to be released on the Jubilee. But houses and settlements that have no walls around them are to be classified as open fields. The right to redeem such houses stays in effect, and they are to be released at the Jubilee. Concerning the Levitical cities, the Levites always have the right to redeem houses in the cities they possess. Whatever property one of the Levites can redeem, a house sold in a city they possess, is to be released at the Jubilee, because the houses in the Levitical cities are their possession among the Israelites. The open pasture land around their cities may not be sold, for it is their permanent possession. If your brother becomes destitute and cannot sustain himself among you, you are to support him as an alien or temporary resident so that he can continue to live among you. Do not profit or take interest from him, but fear your God and let your brother live among you. You are not to lend him your silver with interest or sell him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother among you becomes destitute and sells himself to you, you must not force him to do slave labor. Let him stay with you as a hired worker or temporary resident. He may work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then he and his children are to be released from you, and he may return to his clan and his ancestral property. They are not to be sold as slaves, because they are my servants that I brought out of the land of Egypt. You are not to rule over them harshly, but fear your God. Your male and female slaves are to be from the nations around you. You may purchase male and female slaves. You may also purchase them from the aliens residing with you or from their families living among you, those born in your land. These may become your property. You may leave them to your sons after you to inherit as property. You can make them slaves for life. But concerning your brothers, the Israelites, you must not rule over one another harshly. If an alien or temporary resident living among you prospers, but your brother living near him becomes destitute and sells himself to the alien living among you or to a member of the resident alien's clan, he has the right of redemption after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him. His uncle or cousin may redeem him, or any of his close relatives from his clan may redeem him. If he prospers, he may redeem himself. The one who purchased him is to calculate the time from the year he sold himself to him until the year of Jubilee. The price of his sale will be determined by the number of years. It will be set for him like the daily wages of a hired worker. If many years are still left, he must pay his redemption price in proportion to them based on his purchase price. If only a few years remain until the year of Jubilee, 
He will calculate and pay the price of his redemption in proportion to his remaining years. He will not stay with him like a man hired year by year. A resident alien is not to rule over him harshly in your sight. If he is not redeemed in any of these ways, he and his children are to be released at the year of Jubilee. For the Israelites are my servants. They are my servants that I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. My friend, let me stop right here and say we do not understand the mind of our holy God regarding his comments about slavery. But know this one thing. We are all to be bondservants to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So there is a context. The year of Jubilee, as it is called in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 13, and the Jubilee, as it is called in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 28, is the Hebrew word which stands for the horn of a ram. The Israelites and modern-day Jews take the ram's horn and they fashion it into a trumpet that we call the shofar, or they call the shofar. So the word came to be used as a synonym of trumpet. According to Leviticus chapter 25, verse 9, a loud trumpet should proclaim liberty throughout the country on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the Day of Atonement, after the lapse of seven Sabbaths of years, that's 49 years. In this manner, every 50th year was to be announced as a jubilee year. All real property should automatically revert to its original owner, and those who, compelled by poverty, had sold themselves as slaves to their brothers should regain their liberty. In addition to this, the jubilee year was to be observed after the manner of the sabbatic year, in which there should neither be sowing nor reaping nor pruning of vines, and everybody was expected to live on what the fields and the vineyards produced of themselves. Therefore, there are three distinct factors constituting the essential features of the jubilee year. Number one, personal liberty. Number two, restitution of property. And finally, what we might call the simple life. But first of all, the personal liberty. The 50th year was to be a time in which liberty should be proclaimed to all the inhabitants of the country. It would be a diminishment of the importance of this institution if we should apply this proclamation of liberty only to those who were to be freed from the bonds of physical servitude. Undoubtedly, they must have been the foremost in realizing its beneficial effects, but the law was intended to benefit all, the masters as well as the servants. Masters and slaves should never lose sight of their being brothers and citizens of a theocratic kingdom. They all owed their life to God and were subject to His sovereign will. Only through loyalty to Him were they free, and could ever hope to be free and independent of all other masters. Number two, the restitution of property. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 15 establishes that the institution of the Jubilee year should become the means of fixing the price of real property. Moreover, Leviticus chapter 25 verse 23 defines that the Jubilee year forces the exclusion of the possibility of selling any piece of land permanently. Verse 24 furnishes the motive. The land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. The same rule was to be applied to dwelling houses outside of the walled cities and also to the houses owned by the Levites, although they were built within walled cities. In the same manner, the price of Hebrew slaves was to vary according to the proximity of the Jubilee year. Leviticus chapter 25 verses 47 through 54 deals with the enslaving of a Hebrew by a foreigner living among the Jews. It goes without saying that the same rule would hold good in the case of a Hebrew selling himself to one of his own people. In Leviticus chapter 27 verses 17 through 25, we find a similar arrangement respecting such lands that were sanctified to Yahweh. 
In all these cases, the original owner was at liberty to redeem his property at any time, or have it redeemed by some of his nearest relatives. The crowning feature, though, was the full restitution of all real property in the Jubilee year. The primary object of this regulation was, of course, the reversion of all hereditary property to the family which originally possessed it, and the reestablishment of the original arrangement regarding the division of the land as established when the children of Israel first entered the promised land. The third impact of the year of Jubilee was the simple life, and my friend, it's much more than minimalism. I'm a big fan of the, the guys that call themselves the minimalists. I don't believe in everything that they teach, but I'm telling you, when I saw their original documentary, it was life-transforming for me. It got a hold of my mind. For me to call into question my own greed and my own hoarding and my own possessions and to make a change. And though I did not have a lot of personal possessions, it caused me to call into question everything I own. It inspired me to look at my own life and get down to the essence of what my life is about and to pared down and become as simple as possible so that I could focus on my relationship with Jesus Christ and serving him. But in the year of Jubilee, it was the crowning point of all sabbatical institutions. It gave the finishing touch, as it were, to the whole cycle of sabbatic days, months, and years. So it logically follows that it should be a year of rest for the land like the preceding sabbatic year. It follows, of course, that in this instance, there were two years, one after the other, in which there should be no sowing or systematic ingathering. This is clear from Leviticus chapter 25, verses 18 through 22, where it says, And you shall sow the eighth year and eat of its fruits, the old store, until the ninth year, until its fruits come in. You shall eat the old store. Thus, in the seventh and eighth years, the people were to live on what the fields had produced in the sixth year and whatever grew spontaneously. This shows the reason why we may say that one of the factors constituting the Jubilee year was the simple life. They could not help but live simply for two consecutive years. Nobody can deny that this afforded an ample opportunity to develop the habit of living within very limited means. And again, we see that this external part of the matter did not fully come up to the intention of God. It was not the simple life as such that he had in view, but rather the laying down of its moral and religious foundations. Now, do you get that? We're not talking about simplicity for simplicity's sake. We're talking about the imposition by Almighty God onto the nation of Israel of a simple life for deeper moral and religious foundations. To the question that the Israelite would ask, what shall we eat the seventh year? Again, the answer is very simple and yet of surpassing grandness. God says, then I will command my blessing upon you. My friend, when we live in the blessing of God under his blessing, everything works out. Everything works the way it is supposed to work according to his divine plan. Nothing was expected of the people but faith in Yahweh and confidence in his power, which was not to be shaken by any doubtful reflection. And right here we have the root of the simple life. No life without the true God, and no simplicity of life without true faith in Him. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you want to know right now why there are so many hungry people in the United States, both physically and spiritually? It's because they are not turning to the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4. Compare that with Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. This legal disposition 
and regulation of external matters was closely connected with the high calling of the Jewish people. It was a part of the divine plan looking forward to the salvation of mankind. The deepest meaning of the Jubilee year is to be found in the restoring of all that which in the course of time was perverted by man's sin, and the removing of all slavery of sin in the establishment of the true liberty of the children of God, and in the delivering of the creation from the bondage of corruption to which it was subjected on account of man's depravity. And the year of Jubilee, a great future era of Yahweh's favor, is foreshadowed, that period which, according to Isaiah 61, as I read, shall be ushered in to all those that labor and are heavy laden, by him who is anointed by the Spirit of the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah Jesus Christ. My friend, let this sink in. Because of the work Jesus Christ did for us by living the perfect life, dying the perfect substitutionary death on the cross on our behalf, and paying for our release from sin for eternity by the currency of his shed blood, there is coming a time real soon where we will no longer be under the tyranny of sin and fallen man. If we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we will be completely free. But in this in-between time, we can do much better as a human race, created in the image of God, in correcting the severe damages to our nation and its people due to hyper-greed, the sin of man. So, how does this flesh out for us in the present tailspin we're in? How can we see God take these eternal spiritual truths and apply them to this nation that is in falling corruption? Everything rises and falls on the power and presence of the triune God at work in this world. Number one, how does it flesh out? In Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus declared that everything is possible for the one who believes. We are not talking about an ethereal belief in the universe, my truth, cosmic energy, positive thinking, or just anyone who is touted as a deity or God. All things, all things are possible if we have saving faith in the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one true God, the creator of the universe. Number two, how can it flesh out? Only through loyalty to him can we ever hope to be free and independent of all masters. Number three, the acceptance of the truth that all things belong to God. We are all just supervisors or stewards of his assets. This is the proper thinking that changes everything. You can look at the richest people who are alive. Many of them are elderly. They're on the verge of leaving the planet. And I tell you, my friend, that as their bodies are placed into the cold, hard ground, or their burnt ashes scattered across the ocean, or their frozen bodies are kept in a vault with the empty hope of reanimation, they take none of their wealth with them. So clearly, we are all just borrowing those things which belong to our great Creator God. If you pay attention to the scripture of Leviticus chapter 25, you see it is not the abolition of ownership or access. It is not communism, which is a demonic ripoff of the Jubilee year. Communism offers the Jubilee utopia, but it is impotent to deliver it due to the depravity of man, which always results in sadistic, narcissistic totalitarianism and the loss of personal freedom. The Jubilee year of Israel was established with the understanding that every natural-born citizen who were descendants of the people who entered into the promised land originally always had a patch of dirt they could call their own. So all contracts that were extended from the land revolved around that periodic recalibration. Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum, which no one voted for, they, they claimed to have the, the understanding of how they're going to solve the world. And one of our key governmental officials recently spoke there and spoke with such pompous arrogance about the fact that this 
collective few of the World Economic Forum possessed what it takes to get the job done, that they were unique. It was such a, a proclamation of arrogancy. And if you do some search, you can find it for yourself. Think about this. Presently, the federal government owns about 640 million acres of land in the United States, about 28% of the total land area of 2.27 billion acres. My friend, that's almost one-third of all land in the United States is owned by our central government. And just look at the states like Alaska, who are presently in a legal battle to try and stop the central government from seizing more of Alaska's state land. HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, counted around 582,000 Americans experiencing homelessness in 2022. I would contend that that number is maybe half of what the actual number of homeless people is. There are a vast number of people who never show up on the rolls, who never make themselves available to be counted, who are living in such places as under the viaducts and in the drainage culverts of America. I know of one apartment community in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that found out that they had a massive number of homeless people living in the giant culverts that went underground, being fed from concrete drainage channels that were cut through their property. Had it come a torrential rain, the people down inside those large concrete tubes would have been drowned and never seen again. My friend, if every homeless person was given one acre of land, that would be 582,000 acres if we used HUD's 2022 numbers. That would be just one-ninth of what the federal government owns. If every American was given one acre of land, that would come to 331 million acres, about half of what the central government owns. Point here, even without radical salvation of all Americans or belief in Jesus, it is absolutely possible for every person in America to have a piece of land to call home, to have an originating place, some place to call their own. The United States government helps foreigners to the tune of $51 billion a year in 2020. That's from the federal statistics. In U.S. foreign aid in 2023, the top 10 benefactors are beneficiaries receiving a total of $16 billion. Here's a list of those people that received money from our federal government. All the while, we have the massive homelessness and poverty right here in America. Number one, Afghanistan, $4.89 billion in 2023. Number two, Israel, $3.3 billion. Number three, Jordan, $1.16 billion. Number four, Egypt, $1.46 billion. Number five, Iraq, $1.17 billion. Number six, Ethiopia, $922 million. Number seven, Yemen, $809 million. Number eight, Colombia, $800 million. Number nine, Nigeria, $793 million. Number 10, Lebanon, $790 million a year. My friend, I don't care whose ethics or thought processes you use, for this amount of money to be going out the door to people that don't even live on this continent is wrong. One-sixth of our population, a lot of them kids in the mix, go to bed every night here in this country hungry. My friend, we need a Jubilee year. We presently fund a lot of jubilees for people across the globe and neglect our own population, and this is a blight and judgment before Almighty God. These things are not sustainable and cannot continue to happen. When you hear the news report that says that we are on an irrevocable slope toward the crash of our currency and economy as a nation, this is an absolute lie. If, in fact, God Almighty was brought into the equation and became front and center in the attention of every American— we are on the jeopardy of collapse because of a rebellion against the holy God and the mistreatment of our own citizens by those in governance over us. 
I can't say enough that this is a travesty before our Holy Creator God. My friend, the solution is simple, but the change is hard because it takes bending our knees and bowing our hearts in submission to our Holy Creator, loving God, who at this present moment, we as a nation have developed an intense hatred toward. So if a simple mind shift comes that once again honors the God of the Christian Bible, happy days are here again. It's that simple. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.